Today, we're going to talk about Opium, a different protocol in the options category or options network. Options is really just a derivative, a derivative which is a financial product that has its, that has its value coming from some underlying asset. So options is one of them. We have talked about volatility in options. We've talked about the different comparing CFI options and DeFi options. We've talked about the different kind of DeFi options in the space. And last week, we also talked about hedging. So today I want to introduce you to a new protocol called Opium. Opium is a new, it's a options protocol. They do a lot of other things as well in the der derivatives space. But we just want to talk a little bit more and focus a little bit more about their options mechanisms. So today we want to understand a little bit more about the economics behind Opium. Once again, this is not financial advice. This is purely educational. Please do your own research if you want to invest in these projects. What will we cover today? We'll look at Opium Network, governance, governance token, revenue model of Opium, the economics design. I don't want to talk about market design because in general, it's all about the deri derivatives space that is booming. I want to talk about mechanism design as well as token design. And then we're going to conclude with what Opium is about. So what is the Opium Network? The Opium Network is a derivative protocol. As you can see, you can create a lot of different kind of derivative products and they're all very decentralized. So you can use a lot of different protocols to help match orders. Or in last week's example of Hedrick, we use protocols as a liquidity pool to be issuing different kind of option products. So it is a decentralized product. Nobody owns any of them. It, these products can be traded, stored, or sent to someone else. And with Opium itself, you can have, there is an on-chain trade and an off-chain trade. So an off-chain is where you match people together, you match buyers and sellers. On-chain is where you execute and you do settlement on-chain. That's also good because it's a lot more expensive to do everything on-chain. So the kind of matching that doesn't need so much transparency because the, the execution, the real thing will be done on-chain. All the off-chain stuff of matching and finding the right buyers and sellers that can be done off-chain. So what are the products out there for the Opium protocol? For Opium, they are looking at different kinds of financial products. So credit default swap, interest rate swap, futures, options, binary options. So there are a lot of different examples that are all financial products. Financial products that derive its value from some underlying asset. And in general, these are derivatives. So you get to trade these derivatives as well. Moving on to the governance token. The governance token is really the Opium token. So this Opium token takes up about 60% of the total token supply. And how is this 60% distributed? This is to active users. So if you are an active user, you get to claim some of these Opium tokens that gives you some, that gives you access to governance, that gives you some access to different rewards when you're staking, and also allows you to stake with your Opium tokens. It has a governance function. So in general, this has the governance function, and also you can get returns or rewards because the platform earns 10% in platform fees and these fees will go to people who are holding the opium token and the way it is being governed this governance aspect uses a DAO the Aragon DAO we had we talked about this in one of these examples of augmented bonding curve versus the DICO which also uses DAO created by Aragon so basically governance is pretty robust because you, ha you have a DAO to govern it and then you also get some returns which is the 10% earned by the protocol. Part 3, the revenue model. So the revenue model, as I mentioned, the, the token allows you, entitles you 
to some form of revenue. And where is the revenue coming from? So we talked about this briefly the other time, but I'm just going to go through again because I think it's quite important to have a clarity of what's going on. What we have over here is this user that bets that prices is going up by 15%. And then you have another user on the other side that bets it goes down by 15%. How it works is that, let's say we're trading the product ETH. And we bet that ETH right now is, let's say it's $1,000. And if, and if someone bets that it's going up, so they're risking $150. And someone bets that it's going down, they're risking $150. So because these two people are the same, they are betting 15% and 15%, they pair each other off. So let's say this, this agreement lasts for five months. And during this time, we are going to put that $150 into the pool. So in the pool, you will have $300 in total. So this is how it works. Then what happens five months later? Five months later, we realize that it, the value actually rose by 5%. So I'm the person who bet that it rose, that it will actually increase and appreciate what happens. So I will get my 15% my back. I'll get my 15%, which is the, the initial amount that I put in, plus this 5% because I got it right. Whereas on the other hand, the, the person gets 15% back, but loses that 5% because the person is wrong. And so this is how the options contract is being settled. So I hope that gives you some understanding of this entire mechanism. Now, where is revenue coming from? So every time there is settlement, every time there's transactions going on, you have to make some payments. You have to pay a premium to be able to engage in the trade. And all these different transactions that's going on, 10% of it goes into the protocol. And the protocol is basically owned by people who, has, who have the opium tokens. And the people who have opium tokens get to get access or get to keep 10% of their protocol returns. Moving on, now we look at part four, which is mechanism design of the opium token. Remember, mechanism design is the rules that players and the system has to play by. So what we want to look at is the different rules in place. When we talk about mechanism design, we're looking at three different things. We're looking at governance, we're looking at non-financial incentives, and we're looking at the structure, the structure of the rules. So in governance, what we want to look at is decision-making as well as how things are being resolved. In the Opium Network, they look at, with decision-making, op the Opium token, users holding the Opium tokens have access to make decisions, has, have access to do any governance decisions or any resolution that may come up. So they have entitlement, they're entitled to do that. What you can do in governance is that you can change the different parameters. As I mentioned before, it uses Aragon's DAO. So DAO is a decentralized, decentralized autonomous organization. And it allows different people to come in to participate in voting and make decisions collectively, co collaboratively in a decentralized way. So what can they decide then? They can decide the different parameters. So in governance, in the mechanism itself, because these are very complicated products, it's derivative products in a decentralized way using tokens to incentivize people's behaviors. So it can be quite complicated. So when we talk about governance, we don't want people to change everything from scratch. We want the different structures in place and you can change the different parameters. So for example, you can change from 2% to 1% or 3.5% or 0.25%.
These are the parameters that they can change, which is very important when you're thinking about governance because these are complicated products. Derivatives are complicated products. So if you want to build governance into these complicated products, you have to understand to what extent can you let these different people vote on these products because the governance is basically the rule that they play by. Governance is the entitlement that they can make such decisions. And if you give them too much decisions to make, you allow them to completely change the different model and structure and the whole mechanism where the protocol will work, then it's not going to be fair for other people who came into the system and they didn't have a, a chance to vote on the protocol. Or you can have big players coming in, bad actors coming in to say that I want to change, completely change the system to, to benefit me because I have a lot of opium tokens, I can change the system. So we don't want that to happen and that's why we are just changing the different parameters in the governance aspect. In the non-financial incentives, financial incentives is where you have this different kind of tangible financial returns. Non-financial incentives, we're looking at the other softer things in life, the less tangible financial things, so non-financial. So with opium tokens, one opium token equals one vote. And how, how opium tokens are being allocated is that you have an, an allocation schedule. Yeah, you can call it a bonding curve if you want. So it's an it's a exponential curve. What it does is that the longer you, you put your, the longer you allow your opium to be in the system and you don't claim the opium token ASAP or as soon as possible, then you're entitled to more opium tokens as it goes. So it's a very interesting game theory perspective because everyone wants to exit earlier, right? Because if you exit earlier, there's less people exiting, then you can sell your opium tokens at a high price. At the same time, you also want to stay longer because if you stay to, if you're the last one standing, then you can get 300 times the, the token, in, the initial token that is being sold. And if you compare 300 times the amount of tokens versus one token at three, and if you sell it at 300 times the value, then it's a very interesting game theory structure of how do you want to play the tokens and what would be the good middle point of where you want to sell the tokens and how often you want to keep the token in this bonding curve. So this bonding curve is, is really the opium governance allocation bonding curve or distribution bonding curve where all the opium tokens will be kept in this bonding curve. The later you, you give out, the later you want to take your opium tokens out, the more opium tokens you can get. How do they do this? Because if let's say this has a total of 100 tokens, let's say this is an individual, okay? An individual has a total of 100 tokens. The person decides to take out initially, and this is like five tokens. So the remaining, this remaining 95 tokens that is originally awarded to this individual, they don't get access to it because they decided to liquidate early. And what happens to this 95 tokens? This 95 tokens is then given out to whoever, to any individual that stays for the entire 100 tokens, plus the extra 95 tokens that it's kind of like a taxation or punishment for people who left, who, who left early. So that's, that's the mechanism for non-financial incentives. The other aspects of non-financial incentives in, the term, in terms of allocation, so this is just the opium allocation for product, for the derivatives product, it's allocated in a way where you can create the product and then you can trade them on-chain or off-chain. Off-chain is where you create the, the product, you create the portfolio, you create that options contract that you're betting or you're, you're long the ETH going up by 15%. So that's creation. And then that can be done 
yeah, that, that's creation of the product. And then you can, you can trade that product, that ERC 2710 product. That's the name of the, the term called. You can trade that pro portfolio product in the exchange as well. So that's where things are being allocated. You can create and then trade the product. And then lastly, you also have the, the minter. So where you're creating, as I mentioned, you're creating that portfolio product. The cool thing is that, you know, right now we are only talking about, a, you're betting that ETH will increase by 15%. In the future, you can create like a basket of portfolio that looks at ETH going up by 15%, but because BTC is also co quite correlated to ETH or they're both quite correlated. So you're also betting that BTC can go up and BTC ETH goes up and then you can have something like Litecoin going up. So then you can trade this entire thing as a product. So how this is being issued, how this is, this is being created, you have a, a protocol called Minter that will mint this asset that will, can be traded. So what about the structure of the product or the, the structure in mechanism design? So this structure that we're talking about, we're looking at bargaining and community. So bargaining is how, is the rules where buyers and sellers will bargain and agree on a price. The structure of this entire system is also community information. And of course, we are talking about oracles here. So with bargaining, how it works is, how it works is that the protocol doesn't decide how much money things are. The protocol basically allows people to make a decision off-chain. So I'm betting that ETH is going up by 15%. I'm betting that ETH is going down by 15%. Then when you put that in, in your order book off-chain, and this bargaining will... It's not even bargaining, it's more like a matching system. 15% up, 15% down, okay, I match them together, so the net is zero. So that's what it does, that's the structure, the rules where you're matching different people. So you have that, and then for community information, that's, you get, that's where you get oracles. Where, how are oracles useful in this, in this situation? You have oracles in two ways. The first one is where they use chain link to get price of underlying. So let's say price of ETH. This is the asset we want to trade. We are betting it either goes up by 15% or goes down by 15%. How do we know the price of ETH? You can't, be, you can't have someone or you can't hire someone to be checking all the time. Let's go to coingecko.com and let's check the price of ETH and then we keep updating and updating. No, you get an oracle to tell you, hey, this is what I've sent to all the different, all the different exchanges to see the price of ETH. This is the price I'm getting back. And, and then what the buyers and sellers will do is to put 15% of this price that is determined by the oracle. So that's, that's protocol number one, that's community information. You don't want to have a decentralized information, you want it to be decentralized. So the other way where we have information is the, or the other way where we have community information is the smart contract, SC, smart contract. So the smart contract will provide settlement when the, the options contract or the bet, the 15% up or 15% down, when it has reached expiry, five months that we mentioned before, then what it does is that it will manage, okay, this is, I have total of 30% in, in the pool. What I need to do is somebody wins 20%, someone wins 10%. So the total is still 20%. And how do I allocate, how do I calculate that? The smart contract does that. The smart contract will calculate that and issue 20% to the person who bet it right, 10% for the person who bet it wrong, and price actually reduced by 5%. So that's, that's how the structure, the rules of the opium network is. 
And now we move on to token design. Token design is very interesting because it is the rules for the tokens, the rules that the tokens have to play by, have to agree to. And this is something that we can either put in code or there's something that we can change to some extent. So the parameters that we mentioned in governance, you can change some aspects. In token design, we're looking at another three different things. So we're looking at token policy. Token policy is basically monetary policy, but for tokens, because tokens are not always money. Token policy, as well as the financial incentives, architecture, architecture. So for token policy, it is what we're talking about over here is opium token, right? Because opium token is the one that you, it's the utility token where you have governance, where you have, you, where you can stake, and then you can also get rewards. So the other tokens are the ERC 7210 tokens, which I'll talk about a little bit later in structure or the architecture. But for token policy, when we look at opium token, we're looking at the opium token with governance, stake and rewards. So remember, this is 60%, the total amount of opium tokens to users will be 60% of 100 million tokens that they're issuing. And what it, the way it's being structured, the way it's being distributed to people, they're looking at about 10% inflation in year one because they're basically issuing out to the different users. But remember, although they're issuing out to different users, the users, because of the bonding curve and governance, they're less incentivized to want to liquidate now because the longer they hold, the more value that they can accrue in terms of, or the more rewards they can get in terms of opium tokens. If they liquidate early, they have the penalty to pay. So as much as it's 10% in year one, they're also it's also important to remember that the mechanisms, the mechanism design that we talked about, the non-financial incentives in that aspect doesn't really, doesn't mean that this inflation will 100% go into the liquid market. Then, then we are also talking about the value. So this is the opium tokens policy in general. And when we talk about the value of opium tokens, in because it is, it is a utility token. It's really where you can get, where you're using it for governance, where, you, where you're using it to get some stakes and some rewards in opium tokens. But it's also imp important to remember that the, the monetary value of where opium tokens are, or opium accrues monetary value, it is also important to remember that opium tokens accrue monetary value because it collects 10% of whatever the, the platform is generating, whatever revenue the platform is generating. So there is some form of monetary value to the, the token itself. Then when we look at financial incentives, we are looking at two things. The first one is the, the structuring, the portfolio, and we're also looking at earning rewards with opium. So the first part of structuring portfolio, what you can do is making you can make money in, or you can generate revenue in the opium network, not just by being an opium holder, just staking opium tokens or having the opium tokens participating in governance and stuff like that. Yes, that's one way. The other way is also trading the, the product. So what, what you can do, remember I told you, you could have a, if you, you could bet that ETH is going up by 15%. So you can bet that ETH is going up by 15%. And you can't, you can't settle this. So you can only settle this at expiry, which is five months time or whatever you decide. What you can do instead is you can trade this, this asset. So maybe this asset is worth $1,000, uh, $100. And 
you can you can sell this asset to other people and you can get and maybe you sell it for ninety dollars because there's still four months to expiry and you don't want to wait for four months so you want to to take the ninety dollars first and you sell this asset so that's something that you could do as well and that is how you you have financial incentive for creating for minting these different portfolios but we'll speak more about portfolios in the architecture later but just understand that this portfolio itself is tradable which you can earn money from there as well that's quite different from what we spoke about in Hedric because in Hedric you can't trade the options you just have an option position and your position is just there if anything happens there's nothing you can do about the, the position it's just there with opium you can trade them the other thing is you can earn rewards with opium as I mentioned before you can earn 10% you can earn 10% of wherever the portfolio, the protocol is generating, and that's how it also gets the monetary value of open tokens. And lastly, the architecture. The architecture is interesting because what they have done is to create this thing called ERC-7210. So it's a new standard that combines ERC-20, which is tradable and fungible, with ERC-721 which is non, not fungible or non-fungible. So what it means is that it, it puts ERC-20 tokens inside and it creates this portfolio, which is very unique on its own. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that. What do I mean by it's tradable and non-fungible? So fungible means non-fungible means that it's unique on its own. So it could be something like, like a baseball card. And you can turn this into an NFT, non-fungible token. And this is called ERC721. What, what they're doing right now is to create a portfolio with different kind of tradable assets inside. So for example, I can have something like ETH inside. I can have BTC. I can have a BCH. I can have different kind of assets in this, in this basket. And this basket, so all these different things are tradable, right? These are ERC20, these are tradable, the usual, or at least the rep version are, are ERC20, so they're all tradable. And then, but what you want to do is you, you take this entire package and then you turn it into one of these NFTs, right? Which is ERC721. And so instead of trading them individually, instead of saying, I'm, let, I want to trade ETH plus rep BTC plus rep Bitcoin Cash, I can turn them into a, diff, uh, a portfolio itself and then trade it. So if you think about it, it's something, something like if you're comfortable with Balancer Pool or Uniswap, it's something like your liquidity provider pool. So your LP tokens. So it's something like your LP tokens. It's just that this is much smaller in scale. With Balancer, you can create your own portfolio. You can do something like 98% ETH and 1% BAL and 1% uni, for example. And you can put this into one of these liquidity pools, right? And then you have a token that represents this liquidity pool. So there you, it's something similar where you're taking this entire thing, just that it's not a big liquidity pool and where you can, where you can have a lot of people adding tokens in. It's just a, a smaller version and you have a token that represents this pool and you can trade them, as simple as it is. So. To conclude, Opium is very different from the kind of other from the other option protocol that we have mentioned because they do a lot more than just options. 
They do a lot of other derivative products that can be created and can be traded. The other thing is also that these protocols can be traded. This protocol or these derivative product itself can be traded. It can be created and traded and minted. So all these different activities that the protocol has, they will generate or people have to pay for it. People have to pay a premium for it, of which 10% will go to the different users or the different protocol opium holders in the system. So that is quite important to know because if you look at the economics of how the opium token will work, firstly, it's the number of people staking the system. And according to the mechanism design that, that we have already discussed, the more people staking, the more, the more returns that they will get to so the incentivized to stake, but also less, less, less opium tokens available in the space. People also want to hold opium tokens because it's governance tokens, in which you can change some parameters in the system. So that's that. And then as people also want to hold opium tokens because it, you can capture returns. You can capture different kinds of returns that's generated by the protocol. So once again, as always for all these decentralized ecosystems, what, you, what the goal is for a lot of people to use them. The more people use them, the more, the higher the, the value that will be generated in the, the token. So you can, in, you can imagine that there will be a higher value being accrued, monetary value and economic value. So that's it for the Opium Protocol. It's short and sweet because I hope you're more or less comfortable with options now and I don't have to keep going back to the fundamentals. So that's it for Opium. Once again, if you want to invest in them, just make sure you do your due diligence, make sure that you know what you're investing in and don't just blindly invest, do your own research. If you're interested in more content like this, I have a book that came out, it's called, it's the Token Economics book. I've done three years of research in there in which I discovered or I've deconstructed all these different mechanisms, these economics, this economics model that we talked about, the market design, mechanism design, token design. I have all of them in details and how do you use them to structure different kind of systems and structure different kind of mechanisms to create and, and build different kind of tools and products and token design for your ecosystem. So get a copy and till then, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.